Hello, listeners. This is Lucy here. We have a fabulous podcast episode for you today where we'll be talking about essentialism. For many of us, one of the biggest barriers to focusing on the essential is the tendency to say yes too much. It can be really hard to say no. If you relate to this and would like some help setting boundaries and saying no, join us for our live workshop on badass boundaries, available both online and in person. To learn more, visit badassmethod.com slash boundaries. Once again, that's badassmethod.com slash boundaries. We'll look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to Inspiration from the Couch. I'm Avery. I'm Jamie. And I'm Lucy. We are psychologists and moms. Join us as we discuss what we've figured out, what we've yet to figure out, and what there's just no figuring out. It's sure to be fun, and you may be inspired along the way. Welcome, listeners. Today, we are coming back to our book club. It's making a return. And we're going to be talking about a book called Essentialism by Greg McKeon. We don't know if that's how you pronounce it. We really tried to Google it and find a phonetic or someone saying it to us, but it wasn't there. So I'm so sorry if we're not. Yeah, it's spelled M-C-K-E-O-W-N. Yes. So Greg, if you would like to email us and give us the phonetics of how to say your name, please do. A little audio message, a little video would be great. (laughs) And we'll correct it later. But the book is called Essentialism and the tagline is The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. So let's start at the beginning. Like, what is essentialism? He boils it down to that idea of like less but better. And so it's kind of this idea of, I wish that we had a whiteboard that we could show our listeners, but like this idea of rather than putting like your energy into like 5,000 different things and maybe getting like a millimeter of progress in each one of those. And he has this great graphic in the book. It's a circle and the circle has little lines, little arrows coming off of it. And there's probably like 60 little arrows, not that many, but a lot of little arrows that are teeny tiny. Right. So let's say like if there's 10 arrows and you're making an inch of progress in each arrow, is it better to do that or is it better to make 10 inches of progress in one direction? Or even 20. I think he might even say exponentially more progress And that's the essentialism. Right. And he's talking about being extremely intentional and living a life that really, really matters to you. That's sort of the ultimate goal of all of his principles is figuring out what that is and pursuing that. He uses this language too, like your highest contribution. Like how can you make your highest contribution into the world? And you have to really narrow down to one, possibly two things to do that. Because if you don't, it's going to be diffuse and we're going to get like spread too thin and you're just not going to be able to make your greatest contribution. What about non-essentialism? Because I think many of us get caught. And so if we were to kind of like, and I think we can kind of float back and forth between essentialism and non-essentialism, but if we were to kind of compare and contrast these two constructs, what comes up? Think about like busyness for the sake of being busy. Would be like non-essentialism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just getting caught into like, I'm watching the quote, but basically kind of like thinking that so many things are important when really so few things are important. Kind of getting that, I think about spread too thin, but I also think about like pointed in too many different directions. And that might be overcommitted, like you're actually committed to way too much. But then I think also beneath that is this belief that like everything is important and maybe the belief that I can do it all or I should have it all is like this non-essentialist sort of mindset. Too, he even talks about like language that I forget when it was, but at some point in pretty recent history, the word priority shifted to a plural that you could have priorities. And that he really talks about that like priority is one. 
Priority is the top most important thing. And so therefore there cannot be more than one. And so I love this idea of, yeah, what are the top five priorities? Well, that's fighting a losing battle. One of those is going to conflict with the other. And I think about like, if you've decided your priority is to get ahead in your career and your priority is to spend more time at home, you can't do both. They're going to be mutually exclusive. And so you really got to identify one. And he talks about that even in the context of businesses, like a lot of businesses might have, you know, mission statements or values that have conflicting priorities. And he's like, if you don't outline which should be the highest, your employees aren't going to know how to make good decisions, right? You're not going to have a solid framework for that. Yeah, absolutely. And if it's not concrete, if it's not well laid out, if it's very aspirational, it is hard for businesses, for companies, for their employees to figure out who are we serving? What exactly is our mission? What are we doing? They're pulled in way too many directions and then it affects the whole organization. So companies that have a very clear, concrete mission statement, I should say, with very clear vision and how they want to get there tend to do so much better than companies that don't have that. They flail around. And he talks about that kind of managing decision fatigue, that once you kind of make that decision once, that, okay, it's more important that all of our employees leave at six so they can go home than it is for us to get whatever. Like, and we could just make that decision once. I think we even do that like at home. We talked at our last podcast about like, whose job is it to empty the dishwasher? We don't have to decide that every day. It can just be my job. And I think this idea of getting specific, making decisions up front, I think often of like the lofty language, like sounds really good, but it's so vague and nebulous that it's hard to be actionable around it. So this is also like, how do we get very actionable is like more of an essentialist sort of idea. So what else when we think of essentialist versus non-essentialist? So I love this quote. He says, one reason that we kind of fall into non-essentialism is what he's talking about. In our society, we are punished for good behavior, saying no, and rewarded for bad behavior, saying yes. So when we say yes to too many things, that's actually not good behavior for us. And so that's actually what's rewarded. And so it kind of continues the system of non-essentialism. So society kind of reinforces that sort of. It reinforces and they'll take over for you, right? Which is one of my favorite quotes when you were talking about priorities, right? If you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. And that is the case. If we don't choose where we're going to focus our time, if we don't choose what our priority is and how we're going to spend it, other people, and again, it's not with malintent, other people are going to make requests. We've talked about this in other podcasts. That's just what they do. People are going to ask. That's just part of our nature. But other people will do that. They are going to choose for us, whether that's family members, our bosses, our whatever organization that we're a part of, they're going to choose for us. And then, uh uh-oh, that's when we can really get sort of overwhelmed and down in the weeds. So part of this, it's like a human nature issue you're talking about, right? The idea that people would ask, we kind of want to be pleasing to others. Like we want to be liked. We want to be helpful. That all of that gets tangled in. And then there's some like society and cultural issues, right? We live in a time where choice is abundant. Like I don't know about y'all, but I do remember when I was younger and you'd like go into a convenience store. There's like three options. Now you go someplace and it's like 50,000 options and I just get so overwhelmed. So when we have too many choices, it's hard to be essentialist because that can be overwhelming. There's a reason that Aldi only has so many things. If you go into Aldi, it is very different than, say, going to like Central Market or something like that because they specifically only carry a certain number of items. That's it. And that's all you've got to choose from. Yeah. To reduce your fatigue? Yeah, to reduce your fatigue. Go in, get what you need, move along. It's a very different way of kind of going about the grocery business than other grocery stores. And I think sometimes we don't like that because we want to have like all the choices, even though we hate them, maybe at the same time. 
Love hate. It's like, don't take it away from me, but oh my God, it's so overwhelming. I don't know what to do. Exactly. Exactly. Quite the dilemma. I think that there's the social pressure to, and tied with that, this idea you can have it all, but this pressure to kind of keep up with everyone and what's everyone else doing. And, and then this belief we can, I should be able to be like good at my job and be the perfect mom and cook dinner every night and work out and take my kids every place where it's like you can't. Yeah. I love this quote too. He says, a non-essentialist thinks almost everything is essential and an essentialist thinks almost everything is non-essential. And like, I think what you're saying is like, if it's all essential, if it's essential that I work out every day and cook dinner every night and work 12 hours every day and spend a lot of time with my children and do, and, 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 and. have date nights with my husband. That's right. After hot sex, right? And volunteer every day. So you do the date night after the hot sex? All right. Okay, that's great. That's great. Yeah. You know, (laughs) priorities, Jamie, you know? (laughs) It's all essential. But yeah, I think that that everything being essential, no wonder we're spread so thin, right? If it all feels equally important, we don't know how to make a decision too many things to decide on. Yeah. He identifies that an essentialist has this core mindset and he outlines three principles. So I thought we could run through those. The first is individual choice. So this idea that we can choose how to spend our energy and time. And I think what he says around this is so interesting. Sometimes we pass over that, oh, I have to go to work and I have to do this. Like we get caught in the I have tos when really for most of us, we actually can make choices around this. Like you can choose a different job. You could stay home. You could say no to something, right? Like sometimes we don't feel like we have a choice so we become very disempowered. And so I think the first core mindset of an essentialist is remembering that like, yes, you have a choice. And I wonder if that kind of relates. We were talking in an earlier podcast about the great resignation that I wonder if maybe with COVID, et cetera, if people kind of woke up to, hey, I do actually have a choice. This is where I spend most of my waking hours at my job and I do have a choice. I think some of that has been good that people are, Becoming maybe more essentialist and becoming more aware of their own power and their own decision making. I think, too, that mindset shift around the different activities and things that you do in your lives. Like, for example, I have talked about this before on other podcast, but I have a Peloton. I'm part of the Peloton community. And I hear all the time, the instructors are always saying that. Think about this as you're moving your body, you get to, you choose to. This is not a, I have to. And what that does to your participation and how you feel about doing those sorts of things, rather than it being a chore, this is an opportunity. This is what you get to do. And I think also too, that kind of engenders sort of this natural sense of gratitude to say like, I get to do this. Well, and then you're freed up to make another choice. Like you can get off the fucking bike and go take a nap if you really don't want to be there or you enjoy the rest of the class because you do want to be there you're like freed up that have to and this idea of i have to do these things and that's external versus this kind of internal locus of control of i get to and then i get to make this choice and the next choice be kind of uniquely qualified to know what's best for me okay so choice is one the second um, facet of essentialist mindset is being able to discern Right. So this idea that there's noise, there's so much noise around us. And the way he talks about it is almost everything is noise. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how do we learn to discern what is exceptionally valuable? What comes to mind when you think about like your work and discerning? Do you feel like that's easy for you? Do you feel like it's hard to discern what's most important? And he, he says this too. I like this language, distinguishing the trivial many from the vital few. I think for me, like I've worked really hard at trying to boil things down into what is super duper important that I want to work hard, obviously, but I want to be like truly productive in what it is that I do. And if I get caught up in 
way too many things like at one time, things that are probably non-essential. Like it's going to be really, really hard for me to get accomplished what I need to get accomplished. I mean, and that's work or home life or whatever, boiling it down to what truly matters, what really is essential. I think are just really good reflection questions as we're completing our tasks for the day or thinking about taking on new tasks. I think those are great questions to think about. And I wonder if maybe that was part of maybe what the COVID experience did is it turned down a lot of the noise. And so I think a lot of people were maybe for the first time ever able to get bored and have some quiet time, like real quiet time to do some introspection and really figure out what is a fit for me. I think it's really easy to get through weeks, months, years, and never have intentionally set aside time to get clear on where you are, what you want, what you feel. Like that hamster wheel idea of like, I just have this routine and I do this routine and just kind of one more day, groundhog day kind of feeling. And I think it can, I won't say be easy, but I I think it really is tempting to just kind of fall into that mindless ABCD, ABCD, ABCD versus kind of saying like, why am I doing A? Is that really a fit for me? So to discern, and he has this three-step process we'll get into a minute, but you're kind of alluding, like the first step in his three-step process is to explore, but to be able to explore, you have to have quiet space and time to be able to reflect and look at it. So if we're busy doing, 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 we can't discern. And discernment, I'll say, is hard for me. I tend to think everything is really important. And it's been interesting, like some of this writing we've been doing for the new business, or I'm redoing my website. So there's, it all feels important. Like I'm overly inclusive. And in some ways, I think for me, discernment gets hard because I don't always trust myself to be able to know what's most important. And I think that's a good point. I mean, anytime anybody is trying to do something new, I think you can get absolutely like bogged down. Like I have to know everything. I have to do everything. And because it's new, it makes it harder to discern what's truly important. What are the keys that I need to take away from this? Okay. So discernment. So we have choice, we have discernment. And then the third factor that makes up a core mindset of an essentialist is the reality of trade-offs, right? So I think being able to acknowledge clearly and explicitly that I can't have it all and I can't do it all. And so in the decisions that I make, there will be trade-offs. How do y'all do with trade-offs? I think it's easy to fall into a trap and believe that you don't have to make them. I think that you can slight yourself or bend a boundary or put yourself last and not really feel like kind of always question like, but do I really, do I really have to have a trade-off? Because I don't think I like them. And I think I would so much rather sometimes put myself less sleep or less free time or less something so that I could have more of it all. But I love this idea of like, that's just impossible. Whether I never sleep at all, whether I never get to do anything I want to do, I'm still not going to be able to do it all. And so kind of this idea that it's not possible. So might as well like decide what you want. And even just in that, like there was a trade-off. You just weren't acknowledging. You didn't get as much sleep. You didn't have leisure time or rest, right? That those are important. But we can kind of like devalue some of the things maybe we're giving up at times with the Mm trade-off. And I like this question. I mean, usually when we're making trade-offs, it's between two things that we really want. And so thinking about instead of what am I going to give up, thinking, okay, so what can I go big on? How can I reframe this is that it's not going to be a huge sadness or great disappointment if I don't get to do both things or if I don't get to do this or that. But if I really intentionally make the choice, because again, like the quote that he's talked about with prioritizing, it's the same with trade-offs. If you straddle both things, somebody is going to make a decision for you. And it may not be the one that's really, truly what you want. So it's better if you do it up front. And I love that. What can I go big on? 
how am I really going to choose one once again so I can make my greatest contribution? We just keep coming back to that. I'm going to go big on naps. So in the book, like the meat of the book is his three-step method for like living an essentialist life. And as we alluded to a minute ago, step one is what we call exploring. So this is the idea that essentialists are going to systematically kind of explore and evaluate, and they're going to look at more options at the beginning, right? So this idea of how do we kind of like evaluate things from the get-go so we can make a really good decision about what we're narrowing in on Mm -hmm. for committing to one, and then they commit and really go big, right? And so he has these three questions that you ask, like, what do I feel deeply inspired by? What am I particularly talented at? Right. And what meets a significant need in the world that those can be questions we can use to help kind of guide us in this. Some of the things he talks about, like he gives some like strategies in here. And so we talked about one of the ones, this idea of escaping, that we have to set aside time, deliberate time to kind of think and be present and be still if we're going to be able to be an essentialist. So what do you think about that one? Or what about some of the other ones he might have? I think that again, in this hustle, busy culture, say yes to everything, that can be the biggest hurdle or that can be a big hurdle of like even giving yourself time, even prioritizing that time. That feels like already a bit of a mindset shift. If you're going to say, I'm actually going to say no to something to say yes to like prioritizing being more intentional, right? Or even getting clear. Yeah. So that feels like a really important first step. Yeah. And I like that he acknowledges too, that escaping and creating space can be hard for people because we are so hyper connected with everyone and everything these days that it's really difficult to be bored. But boredom is something really that's a necessity. I see that with my kiddos. (laughs) Like we don't have to fill up every minute of every day. Your face does not need to be in a screen. We need to have some space where actually we have some downtime so that you can think about other things so that you can be creative so that you can be reflective. And, you know, I, I think that's just some real practical stuff that people can do is to intentionally, it doesn't have to be huge long spans of time where you make yourself unavailable or where you're just sitting there kind of doing nothing and reflecting. You can shorten that up, but trying to incorporate that in your week, I think is really important. And it is hard. And you're right. There's so much that vies for our attention and it's really easy just to get busy, right? So I think if you're not intentional about this, like we have chores and to-dos and devices and social media, like it's easy for the time. I don't know if y'all ever have that where you're like, holy shit, like six weeks have gone by. Like what just happened? I think especially like this particular time that we find ourselves right now, like between spring break and the end of the school year, like it just feels like it races by and you can kind of get into that autopilot mode of just like getting through, getting through, getting through. So in this explore section, a few of the other things he includes that I love, he really underscores the importance of play and sleep. Like he's got a chapter on each of them that this idea that play Right. So like non-essentialists really think of play as being like a waste of time, something that's not important. Where essentialists really know like not only is play good in and of itself, but play actually stirs the juices of creativity and innovation. Done past podcasts on things like wonder, right, that talk about these and play explicitly that kind of point to those ideas. And that sleep, once again, a non-essentialist sleep thinks like, oh, sleep can just go. If I work more, that's better. But an essentialist really sees the importance of if I sleep and prioritize it and I'm well-rested, I'm actually going to have a greater contribution. Oh, and then the other point he talks about in here, it's talking about making decisions. And I love this framework that if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. So how do we set the bar really high if we're deciding to do something? If we're kind of like, sure, or that'd be okay, or yeah, or I guess, like that should make it an automatic no if it's not a hell yes. Do y'all ever use that in your life? Or like what would change if you did use that? Well, I think that a lot of times in my life, I have just automatically said yes. And so one thing I've even 
try to do with this kind of more essentialism is just even to give myself like some space of like, let me let you know, or let me think about it. Like even giving myself space to think or even determine, am I a yes or a no? Like that's even an option, right? I mean, it of course is. But I think that it's just another thing that gets automatic for a lot of people, including myself, is if you ask me to do something, I'm going to say yes. Do you ever do that? And like two minutes later, you're like, why did I do that? What did I just do? Yes. Um, So the pause, the power of the pause. Yeah, I think that's important. And another book called Time Smart, she talks about the yes damn effect, (laughs) where people will just sort of mindlessly or just kind of like routinely say, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, because they're thinking about the future and thinking that they're going to have so much more time in the future. So they say yes now, because that's a low cost kind of option. And then when the future arrives into the present, then it's like, damn, (laughs) I've said yes too much. I like how Greg talks in here also about the 90% rule that he's talking about when you evaluate options, you need to think about like, what's the most single important criterion for your decision, and then just give it a score between zero and 100. And if it is less than 90, that's a no. That is automatically changes the rating to zero and then reject it. Talk about a great way to really like reduce your pool of applicants, so to speak, and like the decisions you have to make, later decisions. Because you're like, what about the 80 and the 82 and the 87, right? Yeah, like is you slightly debate? better than the other? Or is it not so good? I mean, yeah. Clarify that. Okay, so that's all step one, which is explore. The second step is eliminating. So this is where we cut out the trivial mini. So what comes up for y'all about the things that he talks about to eliminate? And by the way, these are things like he talks about this idea of an essential intent, right? And we kind of alluded to this earlier around mission statements. Like, so when we come up with this essential intent to help guide us, we want it to be both inspirational, but also very specific, right? He uses an example, like, I want to end world hunger. Like, yeah, that's aspirational, but like no one's going to do it. Like you and any organization you have are probably actually not going to end all of world hunger for forever. But if your goal is to build 200 houses in this certain area of the world, right? Like, okay, that's a lot more concrete and specific, which can be more inspirational as well. So there's that. There's this idea of saying no. There's setting boundaries. There's this idea of editing things out. And then the sunk cost bias. Which of those do y'all like? Oh, I like that sunk cost bias. Because is that the one he talks about? If we have an item even at our house that we're wanting to keep or deciding to throw away that he says, you know, how much would I pay for this if I didn't already own it? I love that idea because I think even from a schedule, like how much work would I do to get this work or how much work would I do to get this opportunity if it wasn't already in front of me? I love that idea because I think that bias we do have, I mean, especially with stuff, right? Of like, I want to keep these pants even though I don't really like them or whatever. And I think it get us bogged down. I just identifying that that is bias we all have and having these questions that kind of work around you know, what would I pay for this if I didn't already have it or what would I do to get this opportunity if I didn't already have yeah. it? And I think that that can come up to you with things that we've bought. It can also be like, let's say we're in a project and we have spent so much time, we spent energy, maybe we put financial resources into it. And then we can just keep sinking money into it because we feel like, oh, I've already invested this much. I need to make it work. But sometimes we need to look at like, maybe it's better just to cut our losses and to like walk away and not get caught that sunk cost bias. I like the first part of this particular section where he talks about clarifying, being really clear. And he uses the example of there really is a big difference between pretty clear and really clear. So for example, people that wear glasses know the difference (laughs) between when it's pretty clear and when it's really clear, right? So clarity is, I think, very important. It's a great guiding factor in trying to eliminate 
all of the non-essential kind of trivial things that don't matter that much. So when you have a real high level of clarity, people do better. They don't get as overwhelmed. They're not as stressed. They're not as frustrated. And they're able to perform at a much higher level. And it's just way more enjoyable when everybody's on the same kind of clear path. Definitely. So all the ways we have to eliminate. And then the third step, the last step is to execute. Right. And so this is the idea of how do we kind of get in the flow? How do we be really present? How do we really focus? Right. And then also, how do we remove obstacles, create buffers? How do we subtract? And I think a lot of the essentials mindset is about like subtracting rather than adding. Right. How do we take things out? How do we celebrate small acts of progress? And we've got a whole podcast on less is more, which kind of covers this particular area. I think the things that I could really relate to is that when people are in a non-essential mindset, they really underestimate how long something's going to take. And I know I have definitely fallen prey to that. Like I overestimate my ability to get it done and really underestimate how long it can take. And that will get me in a bind really quickly. So being prepared, like preparing for unexpected events, practicing like your early preparation for things is what will help set you up better to be more of an essentialist. Well, I love that buffer, whether it's not just immediately saying yes, or whether it's even like deciding a lot of times I'll talk to patients or even in my own life, deciding like, okay, I'm a no for blank right now because I'm doing this project. I'm a no for really any volunteer opportunities, or I'm a no for really any you know, extra activities at the church or the school or the whatever. Like I'm right now, if somebody says, would you like to give your time to X? I'm going to just be a no, not forever, but for right now. And so you don't even have to spend that space of like, well, do I want to do this? It's just a no. You're not getting that decision fatigue. Am I consistently having to figure out if you have time to spare? Because you know that you don't. So getting real clear, like on the front end, what that might be. Okay. So for listeners who are interested in this book, I guess maybe as we wrap up, maybe two questions for you. So one is, what are your general impressions? Like, would you recommend it? What was your experience of it? And then the second, are there any, do try this at home that you feel like are really good nuggets maybe for the listeners to start with? I loved this book. I think one of the things I liked the most was this mindset shift of you can only do so much with your time. And this idea of if you don't prioritize it, somebody else will. And that you really do have that power to prioritize your own time. Why wouldn't you? But I think that was my biggest aha moment of like, yeah, I mean, of course I can say no. Of course I can prioritize this time to be spent doing this or that. Like so many times we can get caught in this like hamster wheel expectations, whatever it is that we can forget that we even have that choice. And I think that's one of the things I really liked the most about it. Yeah, I enjoyed the book tremendously. I would recommend it and have recommended it to my clients. And I think one of my most favorite things that he talks about, and I think it's a really good reminder, is the best asset that we have to make a contribution to the world is ourselves. And so we have to prioritize ourselves. We have to do those things that we need to do to take care of ourselves rather than let other people run the show. I also enjoyed it. And it's one of those, especially preparing for this podcast and going back through it, I think it's one I probably need to pull out a little more often because I think that there's that drift that happens, right? And so for me, it's kind of thinking, how do I keep coming back to this question of what's most essential, right? Like what's most important now and how do I start to get rid of the noise and work on that discernment? All right. Thanks listeners for joining us. We love having you here. We will look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Subscribe to Inspiration from the Couch wherever you access your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. Visit us on our website at inspirationfromthecouch.com. Inspiration from the Couch.